you have your Bibles this evening, and you would, find 2 Timothy. We're going through the book of 2 Timothy. And if you've been with us, you've heard this. If you haven't, I'll just say it very quickly. Uh, 2 Timothy is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that was included in the Scripture. Uh, Paul was writing this letter from prison, a prison that he did not know if he would be released from. It was not like house arrest the first time. It would have been a hopeless and difficult situation. And with him not knowing what the future held, had heard that Timothy, this preacher probably in his 30s, who is pastoring the church at Ephesus, one of the strongest, most vibrant churches there were at the time, was struggling. He was struggling with wanting to quit. He was struggling with difficulty in the congregation from influential members. He was struggling with being associated with Paul because to be friends with Paul was not liked by everybody. And so he hears that the man that he had trained to take over for him once he was gone was wavering. And so he writes this letter to encourage, to uplift, to remind Timothy of the task that God had given him. And we've been looking at this because we have been addressing the issue in our own church that God has been good to us, that God has blessed us, that God has given us ample opportunities to make a difference in the community that we live. You would be hard-pressed to travel, I believe, anywhere within hours of a drive for here and see a church that could claim to be more blessed than we are. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. But never forget that if Timothy could get discouraged, I can get discouraged. If the church at Ephesus can get discouraged, we can get discouraged. And so we've been looking at what Paul wrote to encourage us, to strengthen us. If you remember this uh, sermon series, the very first one I preached, I said, we ain't got nobody to teach Sunday school. I'm going to teach it. And that very night, God raised up an individual to teach Sunday school. The very next Sunday night, or whenever we had the next sermon because I've been in and out with sickness, someone else come up and said, I feel God wants me to work in Sunday school. And then the very next week after that, someone else come up and said, I think God wants me to work in Sunday school. And woo! I thought three or four kids Sunday school workers in a month, it is a miracle. But I believe it is because when God's church will humble itself and recognize its need and depend upon the Scripture and the Holy Spirit, God will begin to work. And I've been challenging you, the backbone of this church, to make the decision, what are we willing to do? What are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to do if God asks us? And you looked at verse 1 through Seven, that he reminded him that he was praying for him and that he knew that God was going to intervene. We looked in verses 8 through 12 about the simple fact that God had given him a gift and don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of what God was doing. Don't be ashamed of how God was working. Verses 13 through 18, we looked about the simple fact that now that he knew who he was and knew that God had a purpose, that it was time to get to work and to do what God had asked him to do. And if you remember, 
Right there in verse 18 it said, The Lord grant to him that he might find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Paul was writing to those people who had been a blessing to him. And we looked at how you can either be a burden to your fellow church members or you can be a blessing. You can be a burden to those people that you serve the Lord with or you can be a blessing. But tonight when we come to chapter 2, we're looking at what really matters. Tonight I want you to know something, that the great need in the church today, the great need in the home today, the great need in whatever ministry you serve God is spiritual leadership. You can read books on business leadership, financial leadership, but spiritual leadership is something that God does and gives us a blueprint. You say, well, Jake, what does that mean for me as a father? God said you are to be the spiritual leader of your home. And to abdicate that puts a burden on your wife that God never intended for her to carry. Wives, you might be saying, well, my husband's a dud. He is a spiritual dud. Then it is your responsibility to spiritually lead your children. Don't let some deadbeat, half-infidel husband that lives with you corrupt your children. Be the godly influence. The Apostle Paul wrote, said that there will be some unbelieving husbands who will be led to the Lord because the influence of a godly wife. You say, well, Jake, I'm not married or I don't have any children. What does that mean? That means if you volunteer in a ministry... If you work in Sunday school, if you work in vacation Bible school, if you work in Thursday school, whatever you do, wherever God sends you, are you a spiritual influence in the lives of the people that God brings into your sphere of influence? Are you willing to say, I am not going to be a pew filler. I'm not going to be a chair with just a butt in it. I'm going to realize that God has a purpose for my life. God wants to use me to make a difference. God wants to use me to help and reach people. God wants to use me. If you've ever heard of John Newton, he penned the hymn Amazing Grace. But if you know this or not, John Newton was a slave trader. And on the way home from a trip to Africa to get slaves and bring them back, they went through a terrible storm. And God got a hold of him during that storm and he ended up giving his heart to the Lord, renounced the slave trade, went on to preach the gospel and write that beautiful hymn. But do you know what in the middle of that storm God used to remind him? The fact that his mother, when he was a little boy, drug him to church. Took him and took him, even when he didn't want to go. And parents, don't you think for one minute that bringing them doesn't matter. It might not matter now. But I can tell you when the storms of life come, they'll remember. God will bring that remembrance of a faith of a parent or a grandparent. And so tonight I want to look at this with you and I pray that you will make the decision to be the spiritual leader that God wants you to be. If you would pray with me and we'll begin. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. As always, Lord, I pray that if there is any sin in my heart or life that would grieve or quench your spirit, Lord, that you would forgive me. Lord, give me the words to say tonight, not mine, but yours. And Lord, I pray that your spirit is at work in this place tonight. Lord, there's nothing I can do. There's no power that I have under, other than the authority and power of your word and your spirit. And so, Lord, I ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Look at verses 1 through 2. And if you're taking 
notes tonight, if you'll write this down, spiritual leadership means teaching God's Word. Spiritual leadership means teaching God's Word. In verses 1 and 2 it says, Now therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul tells Timothy the number one way to overcome discouragement is don't do it all yourself. Teach people the Word of God. Train people how to teach the Word of God. Train people how to share their faith. Train people how to handle the Word of God faithfully. And today that challenge is the same. That's the day that challenges the same for adult men. It's the same for adult women. Whether you teach a Sunday school class, whether you teach your children, you need to be reminded that you are called to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You say, Jake, I can't teach. Jake, I can't share my faith. I can't talk about what God's doing to my relatives. Look up here. It's because you're trusting the wrong source. You're trusting in your own ability, your own talents, your own knowledge. And Paul says, that ain't what you need. He says you need to be reminded of the grace of God. The unmerited favor of God. The fact that God loves you, that God has a relationship with you, that God saved you, that everything you have in life is a result of Him. And so when you teach God's Word, you humbly approach it as, God, you're going to have to do this. God, you're going to have to work. God, you're going to have to move. God, you're going to have to say the right things. You're going to have to give me wisdom. You've heard me preach long enough now to know that if I had quit every time I said a dumb thing, it would happen often. Every time I got a Bible reference confused, every time I said the wrong word, I mean, who gets up to announce that someone's having a biopsy and says they're going in for a bio-poopsy? That was a highlight moment of my ministry, I can tell you. I felt like an idiot. But yet we have to be reminded that what God uses us for is not our abilities. It's our willingness. It's our willingness as a mother to say, you know what, I might not know everything about God's Word, but I'm willing to take that little children's Bible with my children. I'm willing to walk them through the pictures in those Bible stories and explain to them how God loves them, how He cares for them, how He will be with them, how He wants to save them, how He wants to be with them, how He'll put them in the palm of His hand, and how when the storms of life come and when everything seems to want to rob you of your joy, that you're in the palm of God's hand. You have to make that commitment that you'll do those things. As a church, we have to see young men who are willing to stand up and say, I'm willing to teach the Word of God. I'm willing to use the gifts that God has given me. In Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 25, the Bible says these words, And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. There I testified to you this day that I am innocent, of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this, that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Listen, I don't want you to to miss this, if you're not willing as a godly person to teach the Word of God, and if you're not willing to stand up and do what God has asked you to do, someone will come in and be used by Satan. 
What he says there is Satan is going to be sneaking people in. He's going to be trying to get people in to teach and to make decisions and to influence. And you've got to know something. If God's given you the ability and the gift to teach, use it. Use it to protect the sheep that God has given you. It goes on in verse 30 and says, Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I ask you that question tonight. Do you love God's people? Do you love God's church? Are you willing to say, Lord, I want to be used to stand on the wall as a watchman. I want to be used, God, to make sure that Satan does not gain a foothold in this church. Because it doesn't just say that he'll send people from without. He'll send people from where? Within. He says, some of you who have listened to me preach, some of you who have started to preach under me, start of you, some of you have been my disciples, you will turn Aside. It's a great warning for this church. It's a great warning if God has laid a burden on your heart to be willing to do it because if you don't, you never know who Satan might use. Sometimes we think about that, right? That, well, I know I should do it, but if I don't do it, it just won't get done. No. It might not just get done. It might get done for the glory of Satan. That's a heavy weight. If you're called to teach and God's given you the ability and God's given you the platform and you say, nah, I don't think I'll do it. I don't want to study. I don't want to pray. I don't want to be heartbroken by criticism of my teaching. I can tell you, I fall victim to that. I literally will read through a sermon and go, well, this person's not going to like this. This person's not going to like that. That person's not going to like that. And so before I get up here, I pray, Lord, help me put my big boy pants on and just fire away. I have to pray for that. You say, Jake, I can't believe you'd say that. I'm telling you the truth tonight. Because I have to stand before God someday and I want to be able to say like Paul did, I am innocent of the blood of what you've heard. I've preached the truth to you. I've prayed for you. I have declared God's word. And so when you get to heaven one day, there'll be no excuse. I didn't hear that I must be born again. I didn't hear that my sin will separate me from God. I didn't hear that you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen to what Paul told the church in Colossians chapter 1. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you. To fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. To them God willed to make known what are riches of glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. We teach knowing that the Word of God changes people. 
When you teach a Sunday school uh, class teachers, don't get up there and think, well, I just hope I don't mess this all up. No, you teach with the confidence and authority that God's going to take that word, He's going to implant it in their heart, and they're going to leave different than they came. Their marriage is going to be different than when they got there. Their commitment to raise their children will be different when they got there. Their, Their willingness to reach and teach the lost through soul winning will be different when they leave there. You have to teach believing that God can change their prayer life, that God can change their finances. When you open the Word of God and teach it, you have to say, I can't wait to see what God's going to do, how God's going to work, how God's going to change. Tonight, over in the children's wing, we have numerous teachers sitting down with little children, teaching them the Word of God, getting them to memorize the Word of God, expounding on what it means. Why? Because they have the hope that it will change them, that it will encourage them, that it will equip them. Last week we looked that we will hide God's Word in our hearts so that we might not sin against Him. You have to believe that. Second thing tonight I want to show you from this text, if you'll bear with me, is spiritual leadership means being in the thick of it. In the thick of it. You say, Jake, what kind of terminology is that? That's just what I heard growing up. Right in the thick of it. You must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. A hard-working farmer must first to partake of his crops. You see, what it's showing here is, I don't know if you remember the old song, right? I may never fight in the infantry. Oh, Calvary. Come on, you got to be raised in church enough to know that song. But I'm in the... All right, I knew you had it in you somewhere. What it says here is, you can't... Fight in the Lord's battles. You cannot be a part of the Lord's army and not be in the thick of it. You've got to be where people are. You've got to be on your knees in prayer. You've got to be in a quiet time studying God's Word. You say, Jake, I want to be used by God. I want to make a difference for God. I want to accomplish things for God. But I don't want anything to do with the work. Friends, it doesn't happen. You say, I want to see a vacation Bible school that can reach hundreds of kids and see people saved, but I'm not showing up. Then you're what we call a war dodger. You're a traitor. You say, Jake, that's strong terminology. That's what it says. If you're going to fight for the Lord, if you're going to be a good soldier, you do not worry about the other things you're involved You're involved because you know that God can use you. That God can accomplish things through you. Not because of who you are, but because you are willing. If you don't think that's enough of a reason, he talks about athletics. You don't get a trophy for winning if you don't run. As you can tell, I have long ago given up running. All right? I don't even briskly walk at this point. I mean, if I'm running, you better realize that bathroom better be open, okay? (laughs) That's all I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Too much information, I know. (laughs) 
But you do not get a trophy for winning unless you run. You don't even get a participation trophy in the generation that we win unless you participate. And what he says is you and I are in a journey. We are in a competition, not for our, for our own goals, but to accomplish what the Lord would have for us. Or how about a hard-working farmer? You can imagine in this day and age them being up early, just like in today, and working long hours, striving over the ground and praying for rain and, and, and taking out the weeds, the, the hard work and dedication that farmers do to accomplish the task. He says, you can't put out a crop unless you show up. You, you've got to go out and plant it. You've got to go out and harvest it. You, you have to be a part of it. And what he tells us is, you and I have to make a commitment that we're going to be in the thick of it. Now, some of us look at that as a bad thing. Don't be in the thick of things you shouldn't. Don't be in the thick of spreading gossip and division on all those things the Bible warns about. But when God gives you an opportunity to be a part of something special, jump in. Be a part of it. Listen to what Galatians chapter 1 says in verse 10. For do I now persuade men, O God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You have to know that getting in the thick of it, you're going to make somebody mad. There's going to be someone that doesn't like the way you do things the way you teach, the way you're involved. But you've got to commit that I'm going to please Christ above all. It doesn't matter what people say about me. It doesn't matter what people think about me. I want God to be pleased with me. 1 Corinthians 9 says it like this, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. That's why as a pastor, the Bible says, if you cannot rule your own home, you are unfit to leave the church. Every time I read through the qualifications of pastor in Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, I think I should quit. Because you read that list and you think that you can accomplish it, you are wrong, friends. But what we're striving for, I'm striving to be the husband that God wants me to be. I'm striving to be the father that God wants me to be. Because why? If I preach to you one thing and have a house that is not living it, I bring shame to God. I disqualify myself. Now, I like to watch other people run, but I don't like to run, all right? And apparently the American 400 women's relay team today or yesterday on their handoff broke a rule. Someone looked, but yet she didn't look long enough, and so they transferred the baton out of the legal zone. And so while they finished second, they were disqualified. That means they don't get to run for a medal, and since the first time since 2005 or when it was, the American women cannot win gold. Why? Because when push came to shove, they didn't do it right. And so what we must do is we must be willing to let God work in our hearts first before He works in the lives of others. The third thing, I got four points tonight. You got one this morning, four tonight. You're still one less than usual, okay? Spiritual leadership means serving for the sake of God's people. Spiritual leadership means serving for the sake of God's people. Look in verses 7 through 10. Consider what I say. 
And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. If there is a way that you can pray for your children, that's the verse. If you want to know how you can pray for your spouse, for your pastor, for your church, it's right there. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Spiritual wisdom, spiritual discernment. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The chosen people of God, the church. Paul says, I am willing to be in chains because I know when the gospel is preached to the people of God that God is going to work. And he says, because I love the church. Now, you've heard this a thousand times and you can believe it if you want or you don't have to. I don't care. But when I started pastoring here, I knew that I was not near the preacher that the last guy was. I knew that I had not been through the fire with you like he had been. And so I knew that I could not be the pastor and the preacher that he was. And I was okay with that. But what I could do for you is pray for you. And so all those years ago, I took a three-ring binder, punched holes in it, and I began to write your names at the top of those pieces of paper. And every night for years, I would update your prayer list and pray for you. You say, Jake, why do you look so bad? That's why. I've stayed up for hours praying for you. If you didn't make a mess of such things, I wouldn't have to pray so long. No, I'm just That's a joke. And for all these years, at least five or six nights a week, I have prayed for you family by family, page by page. Why? Because God has given me a love for you that I did not have on my own. And if someday God calls me home, I pray that that is what God gives the next man that stands in this desk. And you say, well, Jake, you have to love us. We pay you. No, I'm telling you what, I could make more money somewhere else. But you say, Jake, how should I love the people that I go to church with the same way? You ought to look down your row that you sit with on Sunday morning because on Sunday night, some of you just wouldn't have anybody else to pray for. And write their names down. If you don't know their names, go ask them and pray for them. Just start with your row and pray for them by name every night. A few weeks in, I promise you, you'll be looking for a row in front of you to pray for. Why? Because when you begin to pray for other people, God does something in your heart. I am the most selfish, stubborn, difficult person that I know. And I just knew I'd hear an amen there because some of you just tell me on a regular basis. But it doesn't matter what I'm going through when I begin to pray for you because some of you have burdens that you're carrying that I can't imagine. Some of you have went through cancer, the loss of your spouse, prodigal children, financial ruins, deep betrayals. And you know, when I begin to pray, I think, Lord, my problems aren't that bad. I'm worried about why the dishes aren't done and the laundry's piled up. That's why I threw a fit when I got home. And tonight I want to challenge you that why you serve is for the glory of God, but for the love that you have for each other. 
the love that God is going to give you for the class that you teach, for the kids that you work with. You never know how God is going to build those relationships, but you have to be committed to love people, to love this group of people that God has put together, to love the people that God has saved, love the people that God has brought to us that are hurting. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Paul or Peter writes it like this, talking about pastors. The elders who are among you, I exhort you. I am a fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, but not compulsive, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. You say, well, Jake, I'm not the shepherd of this flock. Well, then you should listen in Titus chapter 1. In Titus chapter 1, he again speaks to preachers. But do not think these qualifications are just for preachers. He writes in Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5, these words. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. And set in order the things that are lacking. The church gets out of whack from time to time. Things happen in church that shouldn't happen. People do things that shouldn't happen. Things get bent out of shape. And people have to be willing to get into the fight and say, we can turn the ship around. We can stable the difficulty. And appoint elders in every city as I have commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful world as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. You say, Jake, why did you read those? Because you ought to be evaluating your pastor continually. Now, that doesn't mean you yell at him outside the lobby today like I did for something stupid. But I'm telling you, if there's something on this list that's wrong, You need to make it aware. Why? Because look what goes on in verse 10. Because God is preparing us for a task that is going to come. Now, don't read verse 10 and get mad, because if you get mad at verse 10, you're the reason it is in there. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. He says, you better get your house in order because there's a fight coming with people who have no desire to honor God but will be amongst you. You say, oh, Jake, that doesn't happen. If it happened in this church, it'll happen in this one. You say, well, I don't like conflict. Well, suck it up, buttercup. God might have you for just this season. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. 
Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. He says, you've got to love your church enough to make sure that your life is right. But you've got to be willing to stand up for what's right. I'm not talking about the world here. We're not talking about confronting the culture. We're talking about fighting for the local church. For making sure that this church is heading the direction God wants it to be. That righteousness is honored. And that dishonor and disobedience... It's not something that's celebrated. And last thing, and I'll be done. I can tell by the looks of you, you're already ready to stone me. That's okay. Spiritual leadership means identifying our hope is in Christ. He writes all of this to Timothy. And you know what Timothy's got to be thinking? I'm already worn out. I'm already ready to quit. I've already got tired of these influential, rich people trying to take the church and lead it a different direction. And now you tell me what? That i got to keep teaching the Word of God. Don't you know how unhappy that makes them, Paul? You tell me that i got to be right in the middle of the fight. I don't want to be in the middle of the fight. He says, and then you got to tell me that i got to love them? I mean, i got to love them and love them and love them and love them. I don't know if I can do that. And listen to how he finishes this up. I think it's a beautiful picture of how the Lord works and moves. Second Pete, Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He says, Timothy, you remember that if you died to your sins and trusted Christ, you are alive in him. There is nothing that can befall you that can take that away from you. You are his. He says, if you're willing to endure, don't quit. He says, you'll reign with him. He says, but if you deny him, he will deny you. But look at verse 13, because you're thinking this is all positive and negatives, right? But don't, look, don't miss verse 12 and verse 13. If we are faithless, He remains what? Now don't miss that. That's the, the key to this whole sermon. If we are faithless, He is... He says, Timothy, you're going to fail. You're going to stumble. You're going to waver. You're going to want to quit. You're going to give up. But don't forget that God does not grow weary. The long arm of salvation is not too short to save. God is not too weak to fight. God is not too weak to provide. When you come to the end of yourself and you've got nothing left to give, Paul says, God has it. Even when you don't. Because look what he says. He cannot deny himself. He says, Timothy, God's going to be faithful because it's just who he is. 
That's his nature, his character. Just like he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just like he's the Alpha and the Omega. He is faithful. And Timothy, and to this church, when you get beat down, when you think this is so stupid, when you think it's not worth the fight, when you think it doesn't really matter, when you're ready to throw in the towel, Paul tells you, God's faithful. He's faithful in every way. You say, what about my marriage? I'm so sick and tired of it. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to quit. He's faithful. You say, Jake, I'm trying to raise these kids, but they're just like their dad's side of the family. There's no hope. He's faithful. When you say, Jake, I just don't know if I can keep being godly at work. The influence is so bad. He's faithful. Jake, I just don't think I can pray. We're going through so many challenges and so much heartbreak at home. He is faithful. And in this church, God has provided and sustained for over 200 years. And if we will just humble ourselves, and even when we fail Him, even when our faith falters, never forget that He's faithful. The results are up to Him, and all we have to do is trust Him. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Tonight, Lord, I just pray that You would work and move in this place. Lord, for those that are hurting, those that are struggling, those whose faith has faltered, Lord, remind them tonight that you have been faithful, that you're with them in the discouragement, you're with them in the loneliness, you're with them in the brokenness. Lord, help us tonight remember that this church is worth fighting for. Lord, we're going to fail. We're going to falter. We're going to mess up. But Lord, with your mercy and grace, you can work. Tonight I pray, Lord, for anyone in this place that's lost. Lord, that tonight you'd remind them, that you'd convict them, that you'd deal with them through the power of your Spirit, that they need you, that you're the only way to save them. Lord, that they can have eternal life if they'll just trust them. But Lord, I especially pray for the members of this church who call this church home to bathe this church in prayer. The things that you are doing in prayer and that you would protect us from the sin and wickedness that can even come from ourselves. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.